Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. It was uh, announced yesterday, the fire, the information on the fire is out and about, and we've got a uh, some eyes in Penticton to help us see that. Jesse Day is a reporter with Penticton Western News. Hi, Jesse. Hey, Shane. How you doing? Good. Thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, short notice here. Um, no the fire in Penticton. Can you, um, before we get into all the data, can you mm-hmm. paint us the picture? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help you here. So if you're standing in Penticton, imagine I realize you're not right there on the edge of the water, but if you're standing there on the south end of Penticton, you're looking out over southbound over Skaha Lake. Down yeah. at the other end of that lake is Okanagan Falls. The mm-hmm. fire it would be on your left side. Can you tell us on what your, you would that's, see? That's correct. Yeah, it'd be on your left side if you're looking towards Okanagan Falls. Um, I haven't seen the viewpoint from there, but I imagine there would be um, a hefty, hefty amount of smoke, and you'd be looking more up at it, so it would be more like a, I don't know, like a upwards view. But if you're downtown where I was on the other side of town by Okanagan Lake, um, it's much more in plain sight because it's further away. It's straight there, and it looks just like a huge plume of smoke right over the entire city. So it's uh, so what is the uh, what's the general tone now? Because evacuation order of that neighborhood, and I was not able to dig up what that neighborhood's called right there on the east side of the lake. Um, do you know what that's called, and uh, what's the sort of the tone? I'm assuming that's the that, neighborhood that's been evacuated. Yeah, oh, off the top of my resident or Heritage Hills. So that is the name of the neighborhood. So yeah, that was um, evacuation uh, or on evacuation order um, pretty quickly as soon as it kind of got to 10 hectares uh so they've all been evacuated they have to register here downtown in penticton and i'm not actually sure where they go from there i haven't been able to find that information and in penticton right now uh the southeast part we have about just over 3,000 homes on evacuation alert so basically and would those be the homes that are down lakeside road that are sort of they make their way down the lake there um it's much more into the city actually um that area as well and then all about halfway um maybe less than halfway in between uh skaha lake and okanagan lake and then uh up the hill if you're in that part right now you're you're pretty much on evacuation alert wow um what's the general tone of everybody is uh i mean i'm assuming that everyone's on edge how are we doing um yeah it's pretty on edge um people have been pretty courteous though lots of stay stay safe um and then on the flip side um we've gathered up some pretty uh cringeworthy uh social media posts of people just kind of making light of it and uh i saw i saw one girl um post something comparing uh her hotness to the fire's hotness oh, so dear. you hate to see that but overall overall it's been um yeah it's you know, people are scared, but I think they're taking the uh, the right precautions and they're going to try and help everyone get through it. So the east side of Skaha Lake, that's where the evacuation order is. Can you help us understand for the area of Penticton itself, uh, what's affected at least at this point and what the concerns are? Um, 
I mean, it smells like smoke, um, and the concerns are obviously that it continues to spread and grow. Um, and, I mean, for me personally, I'm about uh, two or three blocks away from the cutoff of the evacuation alert. So I'm mm-hmm. half expecting to wake up in the morning and see that the evacuation alert has been moved Oops. to more homes, and I'll be in it. What's, um, um, what is that cutoff? Um, it's uh, Carmi Road. <clears throat> how, do you, how do you spell that? Uh, C-A-R-M-I. Okay, C-A-R-M-I-Road. Carmi Road. Okay, there it is. Uh, thank you very much for the insight. I appreciate it, uh, Jesse. Good luck. I hope that you yeah, are course. able to get a, a good night's sleep tonight. And uh, <laughs> oh, thanks I'll for try. keeping in touch. Yeah. No problem. Uh, thanks, thanks for the much, insight um, and everything else. That's Jesse Day. He's a reporter with the Penticton Western News. Last minute jumping on uh, with that evacuation order on the fire that's on the east side of Skaha Lake and evacuation orders in and around Penticton. Uh, The particular fire that has everybody's attention right now is on the east side of Skaha Lake. Joining me to talk about it is Jules Knox. Jules is from Global Okanagan in Kelowna now, but Jules, you were down in Penticton earlier. That's right. I spent most of the day at the Christie Mountain Wildfire just south of Penticton, and we watched it rapidly grow. Um, It's currently 0% contained. When we first talked to the BC Wildfire Service earlier today, around 4 o'clock, the fire there was estimated to be about 10 hectares. To give you an idea, by about midnight today, they say it's 1,000 hectares, and it's 0% contained, so it is rapidly spreading. Uh, So, you know, the real question that comes to my mind is, forget about all the the math and the numbers, is... um, how did that feel to be that close and watch it grow? Um, it must make you feel you know, worried and small and a little bit out of control. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when I was on the highway tonight, you just see dozens of people just pulling over at all the rest stops and they're just watching. They're just there watching because it's, it's like live TV. It's, it's right there in front of you as dusk fell in the, the night. You know, you can really start to see the flames. There's just this orange glow over the entire hill and it's quite a sight of course it's also causing some severe problems for many people um uh, more than 300 people put on an evacuation order having to leave their homes with absolutely no notice just packing up what they could and getting out of there to get safe uh so let's talk about that evacuation order that is the area on the east side of the lake and then there's a uh, i forget the exact term but their preparedness uh, uh order for that bottom corner, the southeast corner of Penticton? That's correct. So around 4 o'clock today, we found out that more than 319 homes were given an evacuation order. They had to leave right away. Um, And they were mostly near Okanagan Falls, which is just south of Penticton. And then um, just before 10 o'clock tonight, we found out another 3,600 people in southeast Penticton are put under an evacuation alert. Another 100 in the regional districts, more than 100. And then the Skaha Bluffs Provincial Park also all put under an evacuation alert. I went down to the evacuation center that they'd set up in Penticton, and there was a large lineup outside. I think somebody told me that it was estimated at two hours, and they were struggling to find accommodation for people. Um, And when I was talking to people, they're worried about their homes. They've seen the fire they describe it as just like rapidly, like just racing down the hillside towards their homes. Talk to some young, younger kids and they're, they called it the apocalypse. They said they're not sure their home will still be there. Uh, obviously, a lot of resources have been brought in, but the, there's a high fear there tonight. So what did you see? I, I, we had a, another guest on from the paper there 
Um, if you were standing Scott Hall Lake Park or at the end of Highway 97, where the you know highway sort of turns to the the west, facing south, looking over Scott Hall Lake, does it is the fire right there, or is does it still look like it's a little ways away? No, you can see flames, um, and that just gives you the idea of the magnitude of it from across the lake. I was near Caledon, which is kind of across from where the fire is, looking out across a substantial distance across the lake. And especially as dust started to fall, you can see actual flames leaping up. Um, there's, and then as, as, more, as the darkness came further, there's um, just more orange glows appearing on the, on the, on the hill there. And it's, it's really remarkable. It's, I think that's what brought it so close to home for everybody, just watching it. And it's such a visible location. Have they, uh, Caledon's like halfway down the lake. Um, have they given any indication of which way the fire's going? Um, we're still waiting for more information. The wind was gusting when I was there, so it did seem to be just <laughs> multiplying when I was there. It was, um, but I, we weren't really given any indication which way firefighters are expecting it to go, although I'm sure they're, they're working on it. Um, of course, as you know, the wind can just change I do know that uh, 21 firefighters are expected to be there overnight building control lines, and they're calling in extra resources, and those are expected to arrive on site throughout the day tomorrow. Um, so obviously there's a high worry. Um, BC Wildfire Service says uh, it's a very difficult terrain. It's rocky, it's sloped, um, with limited access points for crews. We saw a lot of air traffic um, tankers just dropping retardant on the fire throughout the day. Um this is going to need, we believe, a lot of resources in order to get it under control. Yeah, some of the photos are absolutely staggering. I, I can't, Jules, I, like, I can't get in your head and imagine that I can ask all the right questions. So I just need to just ask you, you know, what's left at the end of the day? You've driven back home to Kelowna. You've seen all of this. What, what are you left with at the end of the day? I think you're left with a powerful force of Mother Nature, and you're left with a lot of really worried people tonight. The fire is stunning um, and scary in the same moment, and then you have all these people that just don't know what their tomorrow looks like or the day after that. And I think a lot of people around here have been talking about the Okanagan Mountain Fire from uh, 17 years ago started on this day, and uh, just thinking about the magnitude of that fire and... It just it brings it home the danger of the wildfires here and um, how things can so quickly change. Just how we watched ten hectares to a thousand hectares in a matter of mere hours. It's remarkable. Jules Knox with Global Okanagan. Thank you for staying up to be with us. Appreciate the insight. Thanks for having me. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Good news today um, because it's Good News Tuesday. I just got an email from Gary. Gary says there were two good news things that he wanted to share. Number one, Christia Freeland got the gold today, and she did. And of course, Justin Trudeau's former babysitter got additional cabinet responsibilities, uh, the silver and bronze. It was indeed good news Tuesday for babysitters, says Gary. (laughs) Good news for babysitters. Good news! (laughs) Hello, Shane. James in Edmonton, tongue-in-cheek as usual. Good news! Canada has a new finance minister. Bad news, it's still a liberal, says James. So that's good news-ish, right? It's, that was good news adjacent. What the hell? I'll hit the button. Good the news. news! All right, let's go to Surrey and say hi to Anne. Anne, you have some good news that you would like to share with us today. Yeah, my good news has to do with my brother. 
he's a miracle in progress, I call it. He's uh, I'm in Vancouver, but he's in Montreal. He's 69, and he had a stroke, a mid-brain stroke, and he's been in hospital now for several months. And because it's mid-brain, they said he's not going to get any better. And um, they sent him to palliative, and he started out with a respirator, and then uh, the respirator was off, and they put him on the uh, tracheotomy. They did that. And then they um, put a uh, feeding tube, and all that came off because he was breathing on his own, and they went hmm. to palliative. But um, they told us they told us to be prepared. You know, he was going to palliative. As soon as he got to palliative, he started getting better. My, my daughter's a nurse, and she had said that um, it's not a matter of, if or when it's it's going to happen, he said they they start feeding them like yogurt and stuff like that and pureed foods and they choke. She says it happens all the time. That that's usually how they die. And he did well with that kind of stuff. And now he's on minced food, and he's speaking a few words here and there. And um, his his life is music. He's a trumpet player, and they play music, and he taps his hand and so on, and. A palliative doctor that's been there for three years said that he's never seen anything like this before, and they all die in palliative. He says it's the first time ever. I choke up when I say it. He said it's the first time ever that I'm recommending anyone to a neurological rehab. So he's on a waiting list to go to neurological rehab. So good. Oh, yeah, he's, so good. he's just doing amazing. Oh, that is so good. Um, uh, and thank you for sharing your story. Um, I think it's marvelous. It must be hard for you being so far away in Vancouver when you're, um, when your brother is in Montreal. Even if I was there, I wouldn't be able to see him right now, but, um, he's got a phone in his room. I can phone and it's a kind of a one way conversation because he talks very quiet. He might say two or three words and he has better, better times than others. But, um, there's, there's a lot of hope there and like nobody wants somebody to live like a vegetable and that's what we were prepared to we were prepared to let him go but um yeah here he is moving along getting better that is good news thank you so much and i appreciate the phone call thanks for sharing your good news thank you okay bye-bye uh maddie that's good news right there we got to do it good news how amazing is that story coming out of icu uh you know palliative care don't people don't come out of palliative care and to move along, that is remarkable. 877-399-9898. Good news makes good news babies. You share your good news. It reminds other people of all the things that they're going through and their good news. Uh, let's go to Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, and get to Nate. Hey, Nate. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, uh, I don't think I had top end story. That was that was beautiful. It's not about, it's not a good, good news. Well, good news is good news, Nate. Don't worry. It's not about comparing or who's got the biggest story. It's uh, everyone. Some people uh, got little stories and that's good too. My good news is um, I work at a plasma donation center where people come in to donate their plasma. And we really want anybody who had COVID and got over it to come in, give us their plasma because that's used for treatments to help other people. Oh, wow. And I just got promoted. Yay. At my oh, job. Congratulations. I'm going, to be working, I'm going to be working in the lab, making sure all the donor plasma, especially the COVID plasma gets treated with kid gloves so that 
everything will work out great. Well, that is absolutely we good news. Uh, before I ask you another question, Matt, let's do it. It's good news uh, from Nate. Good news. I like it. Good news. Thank you, guys. All right, Nate, before you go, um, you know, how, how does it feel when you're able to, in all this COVID mess, this mess that is COVID, um, how does it feel to be able to, con- you know, at least be a piece of the puzzle that's contributing for it to go away? Does that feel great? Oh, it does feel great. I mean, we all kind of get down at work sometimes, but at the end of the day, you know, you're helping people. And so that is the best feeling. I used to be a welder. I worked on lots of things. And I like to see what I built at the end of the day. I don't get to see who I help at the end of the day now, but I know that there's somebody who is being helped. Well, thanks for sharing your good news, Nate. I appreciate it. Nate from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, Thanks so much for your calls and your texts about your good news. We will continue with good news throughout the entire program uh, tonight. Coming up here in just a little bit, we are going to get Spaced Out Radio We're going to dig into that. Plus, what is Alipay and what is some of this um, what is some of this money that's moving around the world? And what does it have to what does Alipay have to do with WeChat have to do with TikTok? And could we have maybe accidentally tonight found out the reason why TikTok is a conversation down in the States? Because I feel like I understand it. And we're going to have that coming up for you in just a little bit. First, though, we've got to dig into this little thing that we like to do here. It's called Are You Okay? Shall we, gentlemen? Hey, it's about that time, so let's do it. Okay. All right. Are you okay with a man dressing up as a woman to put dead animals on his farming rival's grave? What? Uh, <laughs> I saw this and I was like, this is absolutely an are you okay? Are you okay with a man dressing up as a woman to put dead animals on his farming rival's grave? Well, are are you okay with that? Yeah, no. I'm okay with the comedic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, situation. But don't do that, please. All right, let's. uh, That's really the thing. 79 year old Bentonville, Arkansas man was arrested on Monday for allegedly doing just that, dressing up as a woman to put dead animals on his farming rival's grave. Here's a report from KNWA Northwest, Arkansas. An elderly man now facing felony charges suspected of leaving more than a dozen dead animals on an old neighbor's grave. Yeah, the granddaughter of the dead neighbor alerted Peerage police after she says she found at least 16 dead animals on her grandfather's headstone since the end of May. According to the arrest report, surveillance video shows 79-year-old Joseph Stroud disguised in a woman's wig and overalls placing dead animals on the headstone. The family says their late grandfather and Stroud were neighboring farmers who were at odds before he died. Stroud could be charged with defacing objects of public respect. Yep. Okay, wow. Let's paint the picture. Let's paint the picture. <laughs> he's it. a dude. He's a farmer, so I imagine his stature is strong. He's got a wig on and overalls. Wearing a woman's wig and overalls is what she said. So which begs two questions. Number one, uh, was it a woman's wig and overalls or was it a woman's wig and woman's overalls? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> this is a really this is really fun. So, I mean, this isn't fun, but this is really fun. Uh, in one image, the family had, you know, obviously known that there were dead animals showing up on 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 their grand, you know, the grandfather's gravestone. So their first mm-hmm. thought was maybe they're being lured there by fake flowers and eating them and dying. Um, that wasn't the case. So with permission of the cemetery, they set up game cameras. 
you know, cameras to capture wildlife. Yep. Uh, and they captured several images of a subject, quote, walking up to the headstone with a dead animal in hand, place the dead animal on the headstone and walk back to his vehicle. Uh, in one of the images, uh, he, was, uh, he also appeared to be attempting to disguise himself by wearing a teal and white woman's windbreaker, uh, sunglasses, <laughs> and a woman's wig. And I, I just sent you a link there, Shane, in the chat here. You can tweet Saw that it. out and you can look at it. Um, they oh were able to nail him down. They cross-referenced surveillance footage from a nearby school, uh, the game camera, and photos of him taken in a Walmart neighborhood market. And the police were able to zero in on him. Oh my God! Are you, are you looking like, at it? I. You know the best part. The best part of all this is I gotta say, is he had the decency to wear a mask when he did it. He did. He's wearing he's, a mask. Oh, he's being he's responsible. COVID, he's COVID safe as he puts. It looks like a dead possum he's carrying. Yep. Um, I mean, yeah. you gotta wear a mask when you're dealing with all those dead animals on your well rival's grave. I can tell you this: old Joseph A. Stroud is is. Pretty handsome woman. <laughs> Stroud was arrested and booked into the Benton County Jail on a Class B felony. Oh my God! But the overalls—he's in his overalls in the mugshot. <laughs> of course. Oh, you, any picture of a farmer from Arkansas? Picture that in your mind's eye right now. Picture a farmer from Arkansas. He just kind of looks that, jovial, you know. That's the dude. That's the dude right there. <laughs> and he's, that's worth it. I'm glad. Thank you, Andrew. Um, I will tweet that out. I will tag Andrew and Matt in that as well. Uh, Shane R. Hewitt is me on the tweeter. Um, Catherine says maybe it was some kind of witchcraft curse that he needed to put on the guy. Um, that could be. I mean, guy's yeah, already no. dead. <laughs> yeah. What, do you want to curse him in the afterlife too? Jeez. Wow. Yep. I am not okay anymore. <laughs> says the texter. <laughs> This is not a Good News Tuesday story. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think what the farmer did was deplorable, and I'm not quite sure how that's a felony. Well, it's not our laws. It's not our country. So I guess it's one of those things um, that, that comes up. Uh, one more texter with good news. Maddie, can we do good news quickly before we go to the break here? Good news! My good news is that I have no bad news. And can you imagine what that would be like if that was everyday's news? That's a good point. Good news makes good news babies, my friends. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. It is uh, that time for us to connect with Spaced Out Radio and uh, find out what is going on with Dave Scott in the world of spacey and amazing things. Hey, everyone. How are you? <laughs> We're wonderful, Dave Scott, Spaced Out Radio. How are you? I am good. I'm a, I'm a little worried right now because my sister and her husband were evacuated at three o'clock from a Penticton. And mm -hmm. so I'm a little worried about the whole forest fire situation there because three years ago where I live in a 108 mile ranch, British Columbia, I was evacuated and it is a scary, scary feeling. If you've never been evacuated due to a forest fire or a natural disaster, trust me, you don't ever want to go through that. So it, it's a little uh, nerve-wracking right now, but you know what? We could still talk some aliens. Uh, yeah, well, BC forest fires, for that being said, I mean, have drastically changed in the last uh, hours, if not a um, couple of days, for sure. So we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. Aliens. Okay. Um, is there a particular place that you wanted to go today, Dave Scott? I have a texture with a question that could get us started unless you had an idea on your mind. Well, no, let's take the question. If you got an audience question, I'd love to hear it. 
I think it's a valid question. I don't think it's a tongue-in-cheek question. Um, It says, Shane, can you ask Dave Scott if there's any new sightings of the men in black? And I think that that's a, um, you know, I think it's an interesting question. I've had similar questions be asked of me before in regards to our conversations in that. The the theory being is that if there are um, aliens around us all the time that we maybe not know about, uh, is it very possible that there are a men in black, if you will, that are fighting these aliens or controlling these aliens or keeping them out of public eye? I mean, mm-hmm. a little bit Hollywood That's style in the reference, mind you. But um, is it possible that there's the, you know, the alien police that are keeping them at bay? You know what? Men in black encounters really have gone down over the last couple of years. And like I like to say to people, and I got no proof of this, but I honestly believe that Luis Elizondo who is of the To The Stars Academy, he used to run a program called ATIP, which is the Advanced Aerial Threat. I forget what the IP stands for right now. But there are many people in the field of ufology who believe that he is actually a man in black who's come out publicly. Hmm. He'll never admit it, you know. But, I mean, then there's the big debate. Are men in black actually human, like we saw in the movies, playing with aliens? Or... Are they of some sort of extraterrestrial descent? I mean, there's that famous tape out of Niagara Falls, out of a hotel from a number of years ago, where a gentleman had said that he was, uh, had reported in that he was seeing UFOs around Niagara Falls. And within a couple of weeks, he had these two men in black show up at the office. There's a video of it. You could go on on YouTube and check it on out. And these strange, tall, bald creatures that didn't look to have eyebrows or ears but they were wearing the black fedoras and full black clothes, very pale white skin, kept on asking for them, and they didn't seem to understand that when his employees were telling him that it was his day off, they weren't accepting that. And it took a while before they finally got up and left, and yet they never came back, which is very strange, very strange. So are they human? They could be. Could they also be extraterrestrial? That is one of the mysteries around the men in black as well. Hmm. Do you think that it would be extraterrestrial or do you think that it would be one of those things that it's the humans and the government that sort of keeps from us? Me, I think it's more governmental. I don't think it's alien at all, but that's just me. You know, that's just me because I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to know what is going on. There's a lot of people out there up until recently that were wanting secrets to be kept, that they were wanting to shut up the loud mouths. I mean, there's a famous picture from, I believe, the late 60s, early 70s by Timothy Beckley, who actually caught a picture of a man in black that was doing an investigation. I believe he was being followed at that time. And so it's very interesting to see where this goes, because as with social media and as we are starting now through the United States government in trying to understand that this UFO phenomena is actually very real. It's amazing. And we just asked this last week on the show how the men in black seem to be almost disappearing. You don't hear many of their stories anymore or sightings anymore. Mm hmm. Maybe so it's a retired I think of it this program. way. Yeah, I, I I think of it this way. Um, if it's an inter inter uh, terrestrial sort of men in black being, I mean that. Okay, excuse the Hollywood, but it's a reference point that we all understand. Um, 
you kind of get into a transformer scenario that there would be a policing body or somebody that's stepping in because maybe somebody's up to no good. And it doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of that going on, right? Like this whole, the behavior issue, it seems to be more of a, a containment issue than it would be a, a behavior issue. And that would lead me to believe that it wouldn't be right. two different international bodies policing each other, right? International intergalactic well, bodies. And I, th- I, th- I think you're going along the same lines there as, you know, in the right lines. You know, the big thing that we need to also understand, too, as UFOs are now becoming part of a real prevalent part of the newsreel, especially in the United States, not here in Canada. Okay, but in the United States, where where they are taking this topic very, very seriously, they're about to get funding on a new program that was just announced. Okay, they are moving very, very swiftly. But if you notice, nobody is asking about the history. The the furthest they are going back is the 2004 USS Nimitz encounter, which many UFO historians and researchers are calling now the modern day Roswell. Yet nobody is asking, because you and I have talked about this, kind of a sore point for me, about the way the mainstream media has covered this topic. All right. But if you look at it, no reporter is asking about what happened at Roswell. No reporter is asking what happened on, uh, what was it, March 13th, 1997, when the Phoenix Lights happened. And I just happen to be wearing my Phoenix Lights T-shirt right now, too. I know you can't see it, but it is pretty cool. And, you know, nobody is asking about the history of, of these reports. Everybody is focused on what is going on. And, uh, you know, this story is, is becoming mainstream in the U.S. And for people in Canada here, we're not worried about that. We're worried about Bill Morneau resigning as finance minister. We're worried about the we transfer scandal and things that we need to be worried about. We're worried about the budget. We're worried about COVID. We're worried about everything. And yet this story is just slipping right under the noses of everyone, especially the media. Hmm. On purpose, do you think? Yeah. Do you think our government does that on purpose? Good distractions? No, no, no. It's because we have a mainstream media that has always made fun of this topic. Outside, now think about it. You take away the one big show that is kind of broadcast around Canada. You take away our little segment. There are very few people in Canada discussing what we are discussing right now. Yeah. And there are even fewer newsrooms. There are fewer newsrooms who are actually covering this topic. Yeah. Well, I I feel like I need to defend that um, in part way because there are some shows that talk about it from a perspective of digging into it. And some shows will yeah. flippantly go into all conspiracy theories without filter um, and allow True. any conspiracy theory um, to be a part of the conversation when some of them ha- are, are blatant misleading stories. And I think that that's what takes away Absolutely. from this conversation because of the fact that there are serious Absolutely. conversations to be had. There are serious stories to be able to say, look, this was my experience. For example, I have a texture right here. That says, way back in my youth in the 80s, my dad worked on investigating UFO claims. We always had weird clicking in our phone. Um, all of our mail came pre-opened. And um, sorry, got to open up mm-hmm. the text here to go further. And uh, old black cars seem to circle our block. Nate from Cleveland. Oh, he just called in. Hey, Nate. Um, so, you know, I mean, so th- th- stories of a, a guy like Nate who has that experience, they often get 
diluted mm -hmm. or diffused by some of the other reckless inclusion sure. of some conspiracy theories. So, you know, in defense of keeping Absolutely. it balanced, I think that that we got, we got to make sure that we also stay on the same page about what is uh, a legitimate share versus what is trying to inflame things. Mm -hmm. No, so. and you're exactly right. And, and even with our own show, even though we deal with a lot of the weird and strange, there are topics on this show that I am not covering because I won't go down that conspiratorial road. It's dangerous. There's not a lot of information and you have to be accurate. You can't just, you know, fly off the seat of the handle just because a friend of a friend of a friend told you that. That's mm -hmm. not it's not right. People, you, you know, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And we've seen that with certain topics with, you know, especially YouTube banning uh, people like Dr. James Fetzer, Doc, uh, David Icke, people like that who have spewed a, a lot of garbage out there, you know, mm -hmm. and, and dangerous, dangerous material. And you got to You walk a fine line. You know, but when it comes to UFOs, don't you find it ironic? And I'll, I'll pose this question to you and even your audience. Don't you find it ironic that the Canadian media will cover stories about these UFO events, but not a single or very few reporters have even bridged this subject with anybody in Ottawa? Yeah, it's hard to investigate, um, but no one's asking the question. Uh, another texture says, Dave, I work in Alberta, rural newspaper. We covered cattle mutilation years back. Uh, yes, it's speech to text because it actually said I worked in Alberta, rural newspaper. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, there are old stories that are there. That's for sure. Another texture says, men in black are real. And there was a question for you, Dave, if I may. It says, can you ask Dave about how aliens Please. travel? As you heard about intergalactic portals through black holes and the like. Oh, yes. I mean, this is a fun topic. I think, and I have no experience on this, but in talking to people who claim they have traveled on UFO craft, they, they almost say they're, they're like wormholes. That's how they are getting here. They're able to bend space and time to travel multi-light years ahead by jumping through these these wormholes that they've been able to they've been able to create how they're doing it i have no idea all right but there are people who's who who've claimed this they say it almost looks like you know in star trek when they're gonna go into hyperspeed and all of a sudden all the stars end up looking like a big white tunnel that's what they say is happening and it's it's kind of weird, man, because if that is happening, that's a little too close for, you know, sci-fi to be able to nail that one out. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it would be a lot easier to just sort of drive through the, the hula hoop and end up where you're going. I mean, that would be certainly convenient, wouldn't it? Exactly. Well, we would hope so. We'd hope so. But I mean, that also opens up a lot of questions in regards to something that, uh, you know, a number of researchers are now getting back into, because the one thing about the field of ufology is what is old is new again. And believe it or not, I believe today is the 25th anniversary of the alien autopsy video being released to the public. It ended up being proven a hoax. But now there are scientists in the background saying, well, maybe it just wasn't a hoax and playing that game. So for people who have never seen that, it's, there, was a, there was like a 1990s special on this. I believe it was, it was on Fox or something along those lines about this alien autopsy video where it was allegedly supposed to be of one of these alien greys that was recovered from the Roswell crash, I believe. 
and I know my audience will in my chat rooms will uh, literally light me up if I got that wrong. So I might be able to correct it if I am wrong. And they were doing the autopsy on this, like pulling the, the black covers over the eyes to show human like eyeballs, you know, and the black lenses were more like sunglasses built in. All right. We, we've seen all of this. And, and, you know, that's one of those videos where, you know, in the field of ufology, you know, what's old is new again. The other one that's coming up is is portals and jump rooms on whether or not we actually have some sort of time travel technology that is out there right now, you know, where you can, you know, take a jump room. If you want to go from New Mexico to New Jersey, you just take a jump room in between these buildings and you're there within seconds, you know, and they're they're debating whether or not that's happening, and that's how we're getting people up to the moon and Mars. I mean, years ago, there was a gentleman named Andrew Bashago, you know, a lawyer out of Washington State who claims to be a child chrononaut that the United States government had these these children back in the day that included Barack Obama when he was known as Barry Satoro, you know, going through these jump rooms from Mars to back in time to, you know, seeing the Gettysburg Address and all of this weird stuff. I mean, it's so hard to believe, okay, but there are people now investigating. And, in fact, I had someone send me pictures of one of these alleged jump room buildings where these are being stored and these things are being happened. I got those pictures a, a, a few weeks ago, and can I confirm it? No, not at all. Do I want to believe in it? Oh, hell yes, I do. It's amazing stuff. Dave Scott, spacedoutradio.com. You can check out the, the Twitter feed is really great way to keep in touch. I love that and find out what's going on on uh, the podcast, the program, the live show, the all the other conversation in the chat rooms Absolutely, that's man. happening too. Thank uh, you. Dave Scott, thanks so much for the time, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's nice to hear your voice. All the time for you, my friend, and take care, and uh, we'll talk next week. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio. 